This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, exclusively on the Bun 2.0, KBUNFM 104.5. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors is sponsored by DS Beverages, your Anheuser-Busch distributor for Paul Bunyan Country, and by Bond and Lock and Key, your home for Liberty Safes. It's time to talk deer. We're getting ready for the deer opener, I should say, the... The firearms deer opener. We have John Williams from the regional office here to talk about it. He's the wildlife chief there. And, John, we had had deer hunting for a while now if you're going out bow and arrow hunting. But, that's uh, right. And But that's, uh, that's a far less number of people than we'll see in the next couple of weeks. Well, that's very true. But it does seem to be gaining popularity over time. And, and uh, you know, they are beginning to harvest quite a few deer. So, yes. So what have we seen this year as far as uh, our oh, season? I had to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall the exact amount of... Ah, goodness. Um, I, Kevin, I'm going okay. blank on that one, so sorry about that. That's okay, but but yeah, overall, it, it, it's, it's going up. Oh, yeah, and uh, archery is one of those things where people can really just get into the sport, and it's not like picking up a rifle and standing in the sand shooting a deer. There's just so many more gadgets you can have with archery, it seems like. And so there's a big following, and, and uh, I, I think it's really gaining popularity uh, as time moves on. Well, and you can go out in much nicer time of year, too. Well, there's that, too, I guess, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So um, we're getting ready for the, the uh, firearm season. One of the things you pointed out before we went on the air was if you haven't had your rifle sighted in, you need to take care of that before Sunday because after that you can't be out with the rifle until the opener. Yeah, that's typically that five-day season where you're not allowed to uh, have a rifle or, or ammunition that can take a deer in the field with you while you're there. So when you're uh, thinking about these next few days, there are some dates to kind of remember. The first is this Sunday. Sunday would be the last day that, let's say, you can take a rifle out anywhere and sight it in or something like that. Or the alternative to that is you go to a designated rifle range, you know, up to the you know, time when you're going to be out hunting deer and sight it in there. If, if the range is designated, then it, you can, you can uh, it has an exemption of that five-day restriction. So, okay. uh, but it's a good idea to sight your rifle in, and uh, I always like that expression, um, aim small, miss small. <laughs> good point. Good point. So get that taken care of. And and if you're going to be going out opening weekend, you got to have that license purchased by Friday, the day before. Yes. So if you're going to be hunting, uh, you know, first day, uh, you need to purchase that license before legal shooting hours for it to be legal during the season. So think of this Friday, or uh, not this Friday, but uh, uh uh, next a week from this Friday, uh, you will need to purchase your deer license, your farm deer license before then, so you, you could be able to hunt uh, opening day. Uh, other than that, you have to wait a day uh, to uh, to do that. So if you purchase it on Saturday, you'd have to wait till Sunday, something like that. Okay. And one of the things we've talked a lot about over the years, uh, chronic wasting disease. We'll get more into that a little bit later on here, but uh, part of the deal is uh, because of CWD, you need to get that deer registered within forty eight hours. Not so much. Because of CWD, that's a that's a standard regulation. Oh, it is. If you if you take a deer, you have to register it within forty eight hours. CWD has a little bit different uh, approach. That if you shoot a deer in the areas where we are managing for CWD, you have to register it. Or, I'm sorry, you have to check it in to the check station same day. Okay. Registration is uh, uh, an additional step that needs to follow. Okay. So. 
Okay, but but regardless, you get a deer forty eight hours. It's got to be registered. Yeah, that's registered. And that's that's one of many ways you can do that. You can either go to a deer registration station. That those are the ones with the big orange signs. You know, gas stations or or uh, C stores or whatever they might be. The second uh, place is you can go on the internet. Very easy to do that. You do that from your phone. Uh, and the third place is use a telephone. And all those uh, uh, ways you do that are in the hunting synopsis or call a DNR office, and they'll get you clued in. Okay. You know, one of the big things this year, it's really, really wet. The conditions are way wetter than usual. What does that mean? It means that Thief Lake's two feet higher than it should be, and I can't duck hunt because <laughs> all the cover's gone. <laughs> you know, there are many places right now that we just are seeing unusually wet conditions. That's very typical. Well, I wouldn't say very typical, but we've seen a, a wet August go into a, a wet September. But hardly have we seen a very end of September get really wet and then October continue it. So we really have a lot of water around here, and that's going to impact deer season in a couple different ways. The first way probably is, uh, you know, if you're walking through marshes or lowland areas to get to your deer stand, well, you may need some hip boots or maybe chest waders, depending on where you're hunting at this year. There's that much water hmm. in some of the systems. The other thing that is going to be fairly significant, I think, in terms of deer harvest is the fact that there's a lot of standing corn around. And uh, that's a good place for deer to hide. And uh, uh, when we see standing corn in many areas like that, our deer uh, harvest numbers typically go down because of that. And that's going to be a case, I think, in a lot of this year. It's only, what, the last few days, I think, people have been able to get into some of the more moderately high fields and, and get out there and harvest crops. So I expect that's going to be a big issue. Okay. Uh, yeah, and it's... You don't usually have to worry too much about hip waders when you're deer hunting, but uh, this year might be. You know, this year might be. I, you know, at minimum, you better have some good boots that are, that are water uh, repellent or, or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, that's just another thing that, you know, in addition to sighting in your rifle, it's probably a good idea to check and see if your typical access points into your deer area are the same. Or is there a ditch that you could jump across that now you better have something a little better, a boat or waders or something that can cross that ditch. Okay. Over the years, things change rules and regulations-wise based on populations we're seeing out there and what we're trying to accomplish. It looks like most deer permit areas are going to be a little bit more liberal in uh, what they're allowing us to take this year. Yeah, that's a general statement, I think, that covers most of the regions. There's only a couple areas where things kind of went backwards, and and, uh, one of them, it's kind of minor, it's Itasca State Park, had been intensive this year, it's managed. The difference is a person last year could shoot three deer there this year, only two. So, uh, you know, if you look at the average uh, hunter, he generally harvests about one deer, Um, very few more harvest two, and Few, uh, very few less than that even, uh, harvest three. So, um, yeah, things are going to be a little more liberal. So a good example would be if a deer permit area was maybe hunter's choice last year, it may be managed this year. Uh, or if it's uh, uh, lottery, it may have additional permits that was there, or maybe it went into hunter's choice. The best way to do that is find that deer map in the synopsis and look and see where you're hunting. And let me add, too, that I think it would be a very good idea for uh, people just to take a, a, a good look at the hunting book and refresh your memory on some of the rules, regulations, and in particular, know the area or the deer permit area. Uh, what are the regulations in that area? Is it a managed area? Is it a intensive? Is it hunter's choice? What is it and what does that mean to you? And uh, what kind of licenses can you use in that area? Um, it, you know, 
granted, um, we've made things more complicated in terms of regulations, but the payoff for that is a more liberal ability to harvest deer statewide, and that has changed significantly in the last 25 years. So we're seeing really good populations out there. We're seeing good populations, but we're also seeing increased um, ability to harvest more deer if the person wants to do that or travel around. Remember, you know, back in the day, you had to harvest deer by the zone, and you could only harvest deer in the zone. And then there was the multi-zone license, and we decided, well, let's let's just make it so one license is good, you know, for the season depending on what it is. So Okay. So big changes in that, and good things. Yeah, but you do have to know your particular area, what's going on. Yes, you do, and, and uh, that that is important for you to do that. And I think as responsible hunters, um, you're obligated to at least have that knowledge. Well, it's the same thing as uh, knowing the special regs on a lake you're fishing. Yeah, or how fast you can go down the road. Yeah, exactly, same in, in what state. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so how many deer permit areas are there? Oh, my. Um no, my recollection is it's a shade under 100 or right okay. at, something like so there's that. Quite a, there's quite a few. Yeah, and in Region 1 alone, of course, Region 1 goes all the way up from Canadian border all the way down to Glenwood, you know, that area down there. Um, I, I look at probably a good 40 or so that, that are in that area as well. Okay. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about uh, chronic wasting disease, something we've been concerned about the last several years. Um, as I rec- recollect, uh, the biggest concentration has been in southeastern Minnesota with some concern and some found uh, near some some game ref- or, uh, uh, game Service farms, farms. Uh, yeah. in, in the uh, Crow Wing Brainerd area, correct? Yes, yeah. So chronic wasting is probably the department, or at least wildlife's number one issue right now, and that's our highest priority. And we're going to really be engaged in that for the uh, start of the deer season all the way through it for those areas that have that. So you mentioned the southeast part of the state, and yes, that is uh, a very concern. There was like 40 additional positive deer found in the wild down there, and so we're increasing our surveillance down there um, and expanding it as well. Um, there are special regulations if you're hunting in any one of the CWD areas, and that in particular I ask that people would uh, clearly look at the book and understand what their requirements are for harvesting deer, for moving deer, for registering deer, for giving us samples, and all of that as well. The other area that you mentioned is that crow, um, that crow wing area uh, near the uh, um, just north of Brainerd, the Merrillville area. Mm-hmm. So in that particular area, uh, we had done two years of surveillance and we found nothing. And then after surveillance last year, there was one deer that was found that was positive for CWD. That changed that whole picture in that area now. So we'll be intensively surveying in that particular area this year, um, probably for the next three years, depending upon what we find. There is a a third area, which is called Central Minnesota, which is a little bit southwest of St. Cloud. This will be the third year that we have sampled that, and the the, uh, reason we were sampling there was a positive cervid or deer farm that was down there as well. We've had two years of no uh, uh, picking up any sense of uh, wild deer having that in the population down there. If we can uh, find the same result this year, we'll probably drop that area from surveillance. But um, it's an all-hands-on-deck for wildlife staff this year on this, and we'll be uh, monitoring CWD quite thoroughly in the next uh, the next month and a half. Um, We're hoping to gain about 17,000 samples this year uh, for testing. Now, again, for those who are not real familiar with chronic wasting disease, um, what is it exactly, and and how much do we actually know about it? Well, uh, 
to get a little technical and throw some jargon around. It's all right. It's uh, it's called a transmissible spongiform encephalitis. So uh, the vernacular would be holes in the brain. Okay. You know, to so a degree. It sounds a little bit like mad cow disease. It is. Yes. It's exactly the family of diseases that's in. Okay. And of course, the human form of that is the Creutzfeldt-Jacobs disease, also called mad cow disease. Um, but it is, uh, you know, a disease of the brain. It is always fatal. It sometimes can present itself early or late in a deer's lifespan. Um, we have kind of a classic picture of this beautiful uh, large buck that was shot that you would not suspect would have any problems at all, and it was chronically positive to that. So um, some of the signs, some of the symptoms, when it does begin to express itself in a deer will be behavior things such as uh, less weary, uh, cocked head, you know, saliva coming out of its mouth. And then you begin to see, as the name implies, the deer just begins wasting away. So the ribs are going to be start showing. It becomes uh, less mobile, all these type of things. It's a very bad disease. So, If you get a deer that tests positive, you don't eat it. You don't eat it. In any way, shape, or form. Why would you do that? Yeah. You know, yeah. there's just no reason to and, and anything else. Those deer that we are testing, uh, we will get results back, you know, relatively quickly. And if it is positive, we will be contacting that hunter uh, about that because we want to know, one, uh, where it's at and, and what there might be for surrounding areas. And, of course, the hunter himself would want to know what he's got there as well. Right. Now, if the hunter gets his deer and it tests positive, does he get to go out and try for another deer? Huh. You had to ask that question, too. <laughs> I, I, I haven't looked that up, Kevin. <laughs> I would guess that once the tag is used, the tag is used. Okay. Uh, it's one of those things. There have been cases where, where um, in the past, I think there's been some additional reissue of things, but I'm not thinking that chronic wasting is one of those things. In the first place, you know, last year I think we found a total of 41 deer, and that was probably done, uh, you know, during season or after. So whether it would have been an additional opportunity to hunt, I can't say, you know. Right. So. Right. Okay, so um, what areas, again, uh, specifically do people need to be concerned about this in? in at the moment. Yeah. At the moment. Um, three areas. Southwest Minnesota. Sorry, southeast Minnesota. Yeah. You know, basically on that, that full tip down there. Um, the area that would be southwest of uh, St. Cloud okay. in that area. And the area just north of Brainerd in the Maryville area there. Now, okay. To be concerned about it is simply uh, to be aware that if you're hunting in those areas, you're to bring your deer in to have it tested. Uh, we are testing uh, at least in two of the three areas through the season. And in the St. Cloud area, again, it's a monitoring effort. If you want to, um, if you harvest a deer after the first two days, you can still bring it into a station and have it checked for, for that as well. Um, other than that, you know, uh, where I'm hunting, where maybe you're hunting or anybody else, if you're not in those areas, there's no reason to suspect there's a problem there. Uh, a person can have their deer tested, even if they're not in that area, by uh, looking at, I think it's the last part of the uh, uh, book, it tells you how you can transport your deer, as well as uh, where you can get it tested if you want to just have it, has it done. You know, okay. um, Blink Lemick, my assistant up in the region, you've talked to him a little oh, yeah. bit. He hunts out in Colorado, and it's just a common for him every year to send uh, his uh, lymph nodes in for testing and get the result back so he knows whether he's got a positive deer or not. Okay. Anybody can do that. Um, what are the proactive things we can do to try to battle this, or are there? Well, 
We're taking a, a fairly good approach about it. Uh, if you want to go to our website, you can see our plan for battling the disease as a whole. But in, in terms of the individual person, you know, there is a concern about um, uh, putting out food for deer because you're concentrating deer. And if that is the case, you know, you concentrate the, the ability for any disease to be transferred deer to deer from that standpoint. Um, you look at this, we, we as an agency then are where we have this uh, deer uh, situation in place where there is CWD. We're trying to reduce the population there so that there can't be, a, again, deer-to-deer transmission. We're uh, making it illegal to feed deer in those areas as well. Uh, it's just some of those small things like that that, you know, we'll hopefully have a, a chance of this. Uh, you know, um, in most states, uh, maybe I could say in all states that have this disease, I don't think they've ever got that genie back in the bottle. Um, as I was thinking about this last night, how I, would, how I would describe it, you know, I think we have a chance in like places where that uh, one deer showed up positive. Maybe that, maybe that's a fluke. Maybe that's something that just happened. If we can just kind of work on that area, get the deer population down, or, or do the things that we need to do to monitor those type of things, maybe maybe there's not going to be an issue there. In the southeast, I think we're at a point where that genie's probably got a couple a couple of arm and leg out of the bottle, maybe and. Uh, it's questionable whether we'll get them back in or not. I don't know. Okay. I know the game farms are a hot-button issue with a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, on both sides of that issue, but I know there has been – I've heard talk that they feel that's – some people feel that's where CWD is coming from. Well, uh, you know, there's certainly at times one can see that the, that's been a spot where it appears to have come from. It's it's hard to say exactly how and where. Uh, it's a issue that, like you say, it's a hot button issue with uh, people on both sides of that coin. Um, the legislature is looking at uh, situations on how they might legislate about that as well. More to come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we wouldn't we wouldn't call it an epidemic in this state, but it certainly is top of mind for most people, and that's probably good. Yes, it is. Um, well, you know, when you look at the the recreational aspect of deer hunting in the state, the state has a tremendous tradition of that. CWD has the ability to knock that completely out of the – just take it off our, our schedule. And we're seeing that in the southeast, you know, less license sales or less interest in hunting because of that. And, sure. You know, think how, how awful that is. You know, when you look at – uh, deer hunting as a whole, a lot of a lot of people plan family reunions about that, or a time when friends gather and just have a good time, and you know all that uh, all that scenario. It would be a, it would be a real shame to lose that tradition in the state. And uh, while I don't know that we would completely lose it altogether, it certainly will impact it. And we're trying to avoid that uh, hook, line, and sinker. More of the great outdoors with Kev Jackson next on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors is sponsored by P.S. Beverages and by Bonded Lock and Key. Don't forget to check us out on the web, kbunsportsradio.com. Click on Paul Bunyan Country. We're also on social media, Facebook and Twitter. And you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. John Williams, the Northwest Regional Wildlife Manager, my guest today. We are talking the upcoming deer hunting season. Taking away CWD for the moment, looking at deer populations in, in the Northwest region, uh, how do we feel about them right now? Pretty good. Okay. Um, there are um, 
a couple of spots that I've had calls about that saying, hey, I'm not seeing deer here. And if you look at the whole uh, permit area, there may be a hole where there's maybe not so many deer. Maybe it's habitat related or whatever. But we're also seeing at the same location or at the same uh, time areas where there are too many deer. And in particular, like permit area 105 north of uh, uh, up the border up there, north part of the state by uh, – Bedette area and stuff like that, and even further east. We have some issues with deer on uh, soybeans and other agricultural crops. We're going to have to look at that pretty well. And we've got that as an intensive area this year. We've had it like that for a while. Uh, we may have to go to a little higher um, liberalized season in that case. Another area that we have to worry about is a little bit east of Fergus Falls. That seemed to be an area where um, we, again, are having deer issues on agricultural crops, and we're going to have to work with that as well. Um, you know, we did see a little bit of winter mortality last year, and I would I would classify it somewhere in that area between DL and Bemidji, sort of a line there. So we typically have seen uh, some of that issues on deer and turkey in that area as well for winter um, impacts on that. Okay. Um, carcass care. We get we get the deer. We got to get it out of the woods. We got to get it taken care of. Give us some tips. What what do we need to do to make that deer tasty? Ah, let me tell you what to make it untasty. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, oh, this goes back to the to the middle '90s, and when I was up in Thief Lake, uh, there was an order, uh, an article that appeared in the newspaper that said how to make your beef taste like deer, and it went through a series of steps on how you would do this. And the first would be to well, you shoot the deer, and of course, one of the bullets goes through the abdomen, which stirs things up and causes problems with with that. You then um, field dress the the beef, and you would drag it through a swamp. Uh, letting the water go into the carcass of the thing. Then you drag it over a plowed field so that uh, it gets nice and dirty. You then proceed to get it home somehow or another, whether you throw it in the back of your truck or tow it behind an ATV or whatever the case is, then hang it up in the tree for several days, and then you butcher the deer. So uh, all those type of things are things that will make your make your prize beef taste like a deer. <laughs> it was just a real hoot to read that article. I've never <laughs> forgotten it. So, but anyhow, uh, you know, obviously, good points. <laughs> one of the first things to do is you know, good shot placement is always critical. One for a, a good lethal uh, fast kill. Uh, you don't have to track it very far in that case like that. You want to cool that deer down as fast as possible and and um, uh, get it cleaned out and and. First, first order of business. If you hang the deer, which most people do for at least a day or so because they're hunting or whatever else, make sure it's off the ground uh, far enough that uh, other things can't climb up and get it. There's certainly been some issues I've seen with uh, stray dogs that may come by and grab a bite to eat. That's never a happy moment. Uh, if you hang a deer, it's probably a good idea to pull tenderloins because they dry fairly quickly, being expressed like that. And those are some really choice cuts of meat right mm-hmm. there. But anyhow, just proper carcass care. And, and like I say, the main the main thing I can see is is uh, cool that deer down as fast as you can get it cleaned. So, okay. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, preparing venison, I think the big challenge with that, like any, um, you know, uh, wild animal you hunt and catch is – is the fact that it's leaner than than most meat we're used to using, and it can get dry if you don't prepare it correctly. How do we how do we find the right recipes and the tips on how to do that? You know, medically speaking, um, a lot of doctors will say that deer is very healthy meat to eat. Mm-hmm. It is lean, you know, from that standpoint. And even in the fact, you know, if you clean one, there's a lot of fat on it. You know, the way you butcher the deer, you can basically have nothing but lean meat. Mm-hmm. I tell you an easy recipe for people uh, that that uh, my wife uses and and our whole family enjoys it this way. Basically, you slice the deer, whatever 
portion of meat you're using there in about half-inch strips or half-inch uh, thick pieces, maybe a little thinner or something like that. And uh, put it in a crock pot, throw in a couple cans of uh, cream of chicken soup, and let it uh, go for about four or five hours. And you will have a very delicious supper with that. Mm. But at any rate, just again, uh, seasoning, uh, as you would be for any other thing, is important. And uh, how you prepare the the meat, treat it just like everything else. I had a very bad experience when I first tasted deer. Uh, This is back when I was a boy in Indiana. My mom didn't know how to cook deer because, you know, deer weren't around in Indiana during her time. And, you know, as as, uh, uh, deer were reintroduced to Indiana and people began to getting them, she didn't know what to do. So she put it in a... Uh, uh, pressure cooker and boiled the thing. Tasted terrible. <laughs> I I didn't I didn't want to eat any more deer at all after that. And I was at a friend's house and he said, "Let's have some some deer burger." I thought, oh, "Okay, I'll try this again." It was delicious. Yeah. And I just found out if you prepared it properly and treated it like you would any other particular meat, you know, with the right seasoning, it's delicious. And mm. uh, that's my opinion. <laughs> I won't force that on anybody else to say it, but I I sure like it. We talked about the the wet conditions out there. Uh, what can that mean when you're trying to get the deer out of the woods? Well, how would you normally get your deer out? If it's dragging your deer, which most people do up to a certain point, you're going to have to drag that deer through a swamp, as we talked about. And then, you know, what are you going to do about <clears throat> carcass care in that case? <clears throat> if, on the other hand, you have an ATV, uh, is the trail into an ATV uh, or with an ATV is it muddy are you going to be rutting things up you're going to get stuck you know there's there's things about that if you're hunting in an area where there's a lot of corn uh, standing I'd be looking very closely at what the deer trails would be going to and from that cornfield uh, because if your original plan was to put a stand on the edge of a, of a cornfield something like that you're not going to have much of a chance to see a deer in the middle of that field so um, you just got to think your way through what it might mean to have a wetter season this year. And, of course, first off is your feet. You know, how are you going to get there? Mm-hmm. What kind of boots you're wearing? What kind of what kind of access gear do you need? Okay. Deer hunting, like fishing, is one of the most popular outdoor activities in the state. Huge economic impact. Yes. What kind of dollars are we talking here? Let's say direct sales. Firearms purchased, uh, ammunition, uh, uh all that archery stuff that you can buy uh, to help you hunt with that. Uh, all of those type of things directly is about a quarter of a billion dollars, $250,000 of direct retail sales. Okay. When you when you look at um, maybe the overall impact with travel, hotels, uh, these type of things that people do, it was estimated that about almost three-quarters of a billion or $750 million would uh, would likely cover uh, just the the – the pursuit of deer as a recreational hobby. Hmm. So it's a big impact. And um, economically, it, it uh, puts a little life in some of the smaller communities, you know. Oh, absolutely. Let alone the church dinners you can go to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah. We have been concerned um, because license sales have been going down basically across the board, even to fishing to some degree. We, is that a trend we are continuing to see at this point? So far, it yeah. is. And, uh as we mentioned earlier, uh, in the areas of CWD, we're seeing uh, a few less license sales 
um, which indicates that people are concerned about that disease and they're taking steps that maybe they won't pursue the deer in that in that particular area uh, where they live, if that's a CWD area. But license sales in general, um, hunting has been somewhat stable in Minnesota. It is maybe slightly down in many cases, duck stamp sales in particular and pheasant stamp uh, sales. But um, the trend nationwide is Minnesota is doing better than most other states, which okay. are losing their hunters and fishermen pretty rapidly. Hmm. I know one thing we did this year was uh, have a statewide youth season, and it sounds like that was a really big success. Sounds like it was. Now, I do have a a rough figure for that. It sounds okay. like the youth in the state may have harvested a little bit better than 5,000 deer. Oh, wow. So pretty good, you yeah. know, from that standpoint. This is the first year it went statewide. There has been in the Northwest a, um, a, a youth firearm season for many years now. And uh, it was just thought that, well, let's just make this available for the entire state. There's no reason just to hold it in one spot because many people were complaining about that. And, you know, Grandma and Grandpa want to have, you know, grandson or granddaughter out in the deer stand with them. And this has been an excellent way to introduce and get youth interested into deer hunting and stuff like that. And that's just part of the uh, hunter recruitment efforts that we're trying to do. We're making things a little bit better. My biggest complaint about uh, youth season is I never have one myself. It's <laughs> <laughs> just doggone it. But I did have my kids out, and they have thoroughly enjoyed that. There is another side of that coin with people thinking that, well, you know, I don't know that the kids should be out early taking deer when uh, it gives them a step up on other people like that. Well, uh, what we've seen typically in that is, you know, you do get a little bit of concern as um, the first time something like that is introduced and over time people understand and, and seem to get along with it pretty well mm -hmm. well I, you know uh, i think it's important it's a it's a great way to give them that taste uh, of something they may well enjoy that otherwise they wouldn't get yes and you know there's a lot of things vying for our kids attention uh, mm -hmm. not all of them are good yeah uh, i think this is one wholesome activity that uh uh, many Minnesotans uh, have grown up uh, with the ability to do this. And even in 1998, you know, the constitutional change, it said this is a tradition of this state that we will preserve for future generations. So we're trying to do that, and youth season is one of the ways to do it. One of the other, you know, concerns about lack of hunting licenses or a trend downward is a lot of people don't understand that is like 100% of budgets to keep the wildlife and the fish and everything going and and the, your efforts to do that come through the license sales. Yes, for wildlife uh, staff as well as our funding and everything, almost entirely it's from uh, license sales. Uh, another source, though, that has been very important for us has been the legacy amendment, and that's that uh, three-quarters of 1% of the tax that uh, people have been paying. We get about $80 million a year uh, for wildlife habitat or wildlife management, improvements, something like that. And just to note, that doesn't all go to DNR. It goes to many places. Uh, DNR gets uh, a portion of that money as it's allotted by a committee uh, down in St. Paul. But, yes, uh, hunting and fishing license sales are, are critical to the management in this state and, and uh, will be in the future. We are seeing some other states where they've kind of uh, uh, thrown up their hands with management like that, and they've gone to other sources for um, their management of their wildlife or natural resources in that degree. Um, Minnesota, it's hard to say whether we'll, you know, what the future holds for us. We certainly are trying to make sure that the ability to hunt and fish in this state uh, remains good and well, uh, stays a part of our tradition, and, and uh, it's a good thing. Okay. Um, 
We talked about the deer in northwest Minnesota being good, uh, good numbers right now. Everything seems to be pretty good. Let's talk about other wildlife. What are some of the other things the, the wildlife chief, chief has to look over? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's everything from we start off the, the season with bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, bear this year, the harvest has been up over uh, last year, and largely bear uh, harvest kind of goes with food availability uh, in the woods. Uh, this year, there was a little less bear um, natural foods available, so people who are baiting bear and stuff like that had better success in harvesting bear. And I don't remember exactly uh, the total number that was harvested, but it's somewhere in that, uh, I'm thinking 1,600 range or something like that. But mm-hmm. it's it's it was up over last year, and uh, it looks like it's uh, going to be a, a good, well, we're done with season anyways, so that's come and gone. Um, we expected it would be good. We saw a lot of them in the in the spring and early summer. Oh this yeah. Year, so well, you must have personally experienced <laughs> that. <laughs> a couple of them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some people experience that more than others with bird yeah. feeders and a few things that yeah. maybe the bear isn't always exactly appreciated after a while. <laughs> yes. But we talk about bear. That's kind of the opening thing. Okay. So we start off with uh, small game season coming open about the second week of September. Uh, pheasant season, uh, middle of October. Deer season, of course, again, uh, with the small game opener as well. Um, and that runs all the way through December 31st. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, your small games, depending on what you're talking about, can go into the next year for a little bit as well. Turkey's been a um, uh, an up-and-coming star these last many years mm-hmm. in particular, even around the Midgey area and north. Uh, we have two seasons on Turkey, a spring season and a fall season. Our fall season just ended uh, this last Sunday. Okay. So um, all good. Yeah. Um, we're, we have pheasant up here? Uh, we're a little far north for that. Okay. Uh, you got to get down maybe towards that Park Rapids area to start picking a few up. DL uh, has a few in that area. And, of course, as you go further south to the more prairie area of the state, that's where our pheasant population largely is. Okay. Yeah. Um, you don't hear about it too much up here. But not not here, so much. A little bit more about grouse up here. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Grouse season. Um, haven't heard an awful lot about it lately. Uh, the uh, population was looking at least good in some spots. It's hard to say. Uh, maybe down in some others. And that's real typical for grouse. You know, mm-hmm. even in a what appears to be a down year, you can still have hot spots where there are a number of grouse. And in a good year, you can have the dead ones just the same. So tough mm-hmm. to say. Well, I, I talked to Scott Anderson and Ducks Unlimited, but I'll get your take on it. Ducks and geese this year, how's it been? Well, we talked about it being wet, right? Yes. So um, the wetness in the state in particular has impacted farming, and uh, it's flooded some of those fields. Uh, the fields that were picked, you know, and um, have the waste grain on the ground, couldn't ask for a better a meal than that. The second best meal would be where they're not picked. And the duck can swim to head to head on that. And I did see some fields up north that were um, wheat fields that hadn't been harvested yet. And I'm sure the the crop is probably lost uh, because of that. But I'm sure that's going to be a high option for ducks. And so because of that, ducks are everywhere and geese are everywhere. As you travel around uh, the state right now, you just see geese flying in many areas like that. Um, You know, uh, some of the more... um, popular areas to hunt ducks like Rolls River WMA or Thief Lake WMA. I mentioned that, you know, Thief Lake was two feet higher. And yeah. when I was out there, you know, uh, because you're so higher, the bull rush doesn't provide as much cover or the, the Phragmites is there and the ducks see you pretty good and they just kind of look at you and laugh. <laughs> and so I said, well, we just had a nice boat ride today. Uh, but it has impacted uh, several areas. And it's probably made some areas pretty good for duck hunting and made others pretty bad. So. Okay. We uh, and I and I talked with Scott about this too, but most everything else you deal with 
they uh, they pretty much stick in a specific area. When you're talking about waterfowl, especially geese and ducks, we're talking about transient um, creatures that are not here, and we have, and that's why it's so important to have uh, nationwide people working together on this, and even continent-wide. Absolutely. Um, migratory waterfowl, there's a reason they call it migratory. <laughs> you know, they come and go. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Minnesota's blessed to have a good natural population of ducks and geese, and we take advantage of that. I believe uh, right now that the uh, most of our goose numbers that are taken, I think majority of them, maybe just, just over 50% or better, are local birds that we raise here. Now, they're the giant Canadas that are endemic to this area, and, and we have a lot of them. We have uh, typically good uh, production on ducks. The first couple of weeks of duck season, we uh, have good hunting just because of our local population. Then we, of course, see receive the migrants as they come in and stuff like that. But you're right, Kevin. You know, we need um, many, many states uh, work with Canada, uh, Ducks Unlimited as well all the way down to Mexico, and um, it's important that we have, um, well, if you're migratory, you've got to have a good place to raise a family. You've got to have a good place to travel as you're going to your destination, and the destination has to be good as well. Mm -hmm. So all three of those things have to come into play before we have a successful uh, duck season. Overall, Northwest region, pretty happy with the way things are going? Hmm. Yes, I would say so. Um like anything else, we we uh, I mentioned the pendulum and a deer. We've talked about mm-hmm. that before. Yes. We do have some areas deer-wise that we need to uh, uh, maybe work, lurk a little harder, put a little more pressure on the deer population, reducing towards goal. Some of the areas we're going to reduce up towards goal, or not reduce, but increase towards goal. Um, that's not been a problem. It's it's more easy to increase a deer herd than it is to knock it down, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, um, habitat-wise, we're – we're, I would say, in the the fair range. I wouldn't call it good, and I wouldn't call it bad. Um, the scene, you know, certainly there's a big um, relationship we have with agriculture within the area. You know, those things um, where we have that ag mix is some of our best hunting uh, ground that we have for many species of wildlife. Areas where there's more predominantly ag, maybe a little less, and they could use a little more habitat. And then, of course, you have the other species that are more adapted to the wooded areas too. Um, overall, I, I would just give us a fair to maybe fair to good rating, but uh, I wouldn't give it an excellent. And I wouldn't give it a poor either. Okay, okay. I know that there's always everybody's got their opinion on what they want their deer population to be, or you know, for, uh, and I always go back to fish because I talk so much about it throughout the course of the summer. You know, Lake Bemidji has become a trophy musky lake, whereas other lakes have more muskies across the spectrum. Um, Deer-wise, what are we trying to be? Are we trying to be the 30-point buck place or <laughs> trying to be the place where a lot of people can get a buck or, or even a doe? You know, it seems about um, maybe a little less than a half people that are deer hunting get a deer. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's not too bad. I think we would like to see, you know, um, uh, well, most people that go out to try to take a deer would be successful in that. 30-point buck, um, uh, well, you know uh, – <laughs> We tried that in the south southeast there, you know, and they were having success in seeing larger deer because the there was a four point antler restriction on what you should take and stuff like that. But there again, we had that CWD pop up, and and now that's you know we we dropped that and that's gone for the most part. I think, um, and trust me, um, there would be people that would disagree with me on this, and others that would agree. 
you kind of have the one side of the coin, like I'm just after a good dinner, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd probably fall in that suit. And there are other people that say, you know, I'd really like to shoot a trophy buck once in my life. And, um, you know, we try to manage for that mediocre between those two ranges. Basically, we do that by setting a goal in a particular area. What do you want to see? And we're kind of getting away from the number goal of so many deer per square mile. And we're really working on sort of what we're hearing from the public, what we're seeing from our own deer observations and stuff like that. Would you like to see the deer population a little higher or a little lower than what you are experiencing? And those are the type of uh, things that we're beginning to look at and trying to model towards. Um, the 30-point buck, it's a great song. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got to give Bananas at Large uh, uh, kudos for that. Yeah. Those are the Youpers. They got some Those are the Youpers, yeah. But uh, uh, it's just nice. Um, e- you know, even in most areas there, you still have a chance for uh, that big buck that's hanging around. But those deer don't come without some effort on your part. Either that or you got to be really lucky. Um, but generally, to scout those deer, you have to be sharp on sign, and you actually got to do some deer hunting. Um, uh, some of the other hunting that I do, uh, deer being one of them, is more or less walk to your stand. You find it out after the last several years, and you get a deer. You know, uh, but those big ones don't come easy, and they usually require a little effort in your part to understand them. Okay. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up, John? Safety always. Mm-hmm. Uh, know the area where you're hunting. Be cognizant of those around you. Uh, Sight in your rifle, you know. Um, the thing that you don't want is to shoot a deer and go track it for another three miles, you know. Yeah. So uh, good, a good shot on placement. You know, our shooting hours half hour before sunrise, half hour uh, before or half hour after sunset. You know, is it always wise to go right to the very minute of that? Well, it depends on the conditions. There are times when it's cloudy and dark at uh, before sh- before shooting hours in. Maybe you don't want to take that shot because, well, can you? actually aim well or can you track well at that point so just think about some of the things like that um certainly be be cognizant of any of the hunters around you make sure you're wearing your hunter orange or blaze pink uh good good note and you know we laugh a little bit about that but what we found out with uh people who are colorblind blaze pink is much more observable than hunter orange so it's it's not a uh it's not a fluke it's a it's a reality and it's a good thing um yeah, you know, that's main thing. And uh, gosh, enjoy family, enjoy the friends you're hunting with. Um, it's a time. Hopefully, you can relax and and uh, just enjoy the outdoors. All right, good words from John Williams. He is the Northwest Regional uh, Hunt. Try that again. Northwest Regional Wildlife Manager. Close enough. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> out of the office here in Bemidji. And, John, we appreciate you taking time today. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me in. Appreciate the conversation, Kevin. This has been Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Hear it exclusively on KBUN-FM 104.5, Thursdays at 1240 and Saturday mornings at 8.